Nehemiah, uh, it says this in 6.16. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Stop. 52 days to build a wall that was down for hundreds of years. And I want to hear this real quick. I was reflecting on the last four months. We just finished our four-month anniversary last uh, Sunday. I know it sounds so junior high-ish, like dating. Oh, we dated for four months. Um, <laughs> happy four-month anniversary. <laughs> but that's Mission Church is in the junior high phase right now. We're growing up. <laughs> We're growing up. And uh, so bear with me. So I was reflecting on our four-month anniversary, and, and I, I was just praying with the Lord, and he's going, man, Lord, if this is what you could accomplish in four months, what's it going to look like in the next four months? And what's it going to look like in the next four years? Because it's your church. And uh, as you saw, what I loved about the way Rachel put the video together is week after week, people come, and they set up this stage, and then they tear down the stage, and they come back, they come with great joy. It's Sunday, as, as Mike Kandow said. Um, and not only that, but it's Monday through Saturday, small groups and relationships and loving this community and loving this region. And so I just, uh, I'm so thankful for what's happened in the last four months, but I want to know something right now. The, the enemy uh, knows that Mission Church is here. Uh, he has lost his self-confidence. The gates of hell cannot stand against the church. Uh, the church lays back a lot and plays defense. We're supposed to play offense as a church. We're taking ground back. Uh, we want to love this community. We want the church to have a better name in this community. We want Christians, when you hear that name, even Christian, that you're not like, judgmental. I want people to think of love, joy, peace, all the things we're supposed to be marked by. Does that sound good? So the title of my message today, if we could just dive in, is uh, Wake Up. It's time to celebrate. It's time to celebrate. And uh, we're going to start in Luke 14. So if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and go to Luke 14. And it's a famous parable. It's the parable of the great banquet. And again, the great banquet uh, is Jesus, again, sharing a big truth of heaven uh, in a short story. And before I even read you this uh, Luke 14, I want to set it up real quick. D.L. Moody, a famous evangelist of the late 1800s, he was about to die. These are weeks before he passes away. And he knows he only got one more time to preach. And so he tells his team, hey, one more service. I want to preach one more time. I, I, I have a desire more than ever to see people get saved, for souls to be saved. And so he is literally leaning on an organ. And it says this about his last moments. It says that it was given on November 23rd, 1899 in the Civic Auditorium in Kansas City. Uh, the title of this message was Excuses. Buckle up. We're going to talk about that a little bit today, too. And Moody was a sick man as he preached. I must have souls in Kansas City. He, saw, uh, he told the students at his uh, school in Chicago, never, never have I wanted so much to lead men and women to Christ as I do at this time. There was a throbbing in his chest, and he had to hold on to the organ to keep him from falling down. But Moody uh, bravely preached the gospel, and some 50 people responded to trust Christ that day. Moody left for home, and weeks later, he passed away. Up to the very end of his life, Moody was compelling them to come in. And that coming in and compelling is going to make sense in just a second, but I find it interesting that a man who knew the word front and back, that was an evangelist, a, a, a student of the word, and a teacher of the word. This man chose this parable out of all parables. And so I really was like, okay, man, I want to I study this parable. I, get, I want it in me. I want to understand it. And this parable basically is these religious people and these people who don't know the Lord are basically going, man, like, okay, so what does it mean really to be like a Christian and to follow you? What does that even look like? And so Jesus depicts the kingdom of God as a party. 
And I want you to hear this real quick. A lot of people think they die and go to church service, okay? Um, but that's not in the Bible. Actually, the Bible shows Isaiah 25, Revelation 19, and Zephaniah even, and also in this verse in Luke 14, that when we die, we die and go to a party. It's more of a party than anything else. It's a banquet. It's a celebration. He's the God of the feast. And so in Luke 14, he's trying to give you and I a picture of the invitation to come celebrate with him and to come party with him for eternity. Let's hear what he says here. Ready? Uh, verse 15, we're going to pick it up. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Stop. Picture your greatest meal you've ever had in your life, okay? Just picture it. Like, um, one of my greatest meals I've ever had was a steak from a steakhouse, and I still think of it sometimes when I lay down. I'm like, man, that was one great steak. You ever have those moments you don't time out? Uh, another one is Dino's Pizza in Burbank. Sometimes I'll be watching TV and, a, like, a, come on now, what's up? Um, Domino's commercial come out. I'm like, whatever, Domino's. And I'll think of Dino's. It reminds me of one of the greatest meals I've ever had, okay? So picture the greatest meal times it by a billion, all right? Picture the greatest party you've ever been to, times it by a billion, of infinity, if I could put that. Uh, what, what Jesus is trying to describe is, even in Isaiah 25, let me give somebody uh, maybe a brand new favorite verse. Isaiah 25 says this. I think I, I wrote it down. Uh, yeah, right here we go. Uh, On this mighty mountain, the Lord will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples and a banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest wines. Somebody said, that's my new favorite verse, Isaiah 25.6. <laughs> Boom, getting that tattoo right here. What? What's that mean? God's preparing the greatest meats and the greatest wine for me when I go to heaven. Uh, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Another thing real quick about parties, I want you to hear this real quick as I go into the rest of this uh, scripture, is I believe that the world shows they want heaven more than ever because of this. Is Part of our culture in this world is they love to party, but they don't know how to party well. They're missing the greatest ingredients, and that's the king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus created the party, he perfected the party, and he knows how to do it in the best way that will satisfy your soul and overflow your soul. It says in Revelation 19 that he's actually going to give us what to wear to the party. When I lived in L.A., there was this famous party every year that P. Diddy would throw. Um, never got invited, whatever. Um, but basically, it was an all-white party. You had to wear an all-white suit, an all-white something. Everybody wore all-white to the party, and they all partied that night. There was crystal and everything else. But in Revelation 19, we were going to get white robes. We're all going to be dressed in white, representing really not only how we feel on the outside, but how we feel on the inside. Perfect, clean, and pure. What an amazing party. Imagine going to a party and having the most joy you ever felt. Imagine going to the party and feeling the most uh, uh, happiness and fun and laughter. It says this, a theologian said, and I love it. Uh, we must always remember that Jesus thought of the kingdom in terms of a feast. A gloomy Christian is a contradiction. Sorry, this is um, my computer. I just did an update and it's blocking everything. Golly, what an amateur. Uh, forgive me. We must always remember that Jesus thought of the kingdom in terms of a feast. A gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms of, the, uh, of, of following Jesus. John Locke, the great philosopher, defined laughter as sudden glory. There is no healthy, everybody say healthy. Healthy, healthy pleasure, which is forbidden to a Christian. For a Christian is like someone who is forever as a wedding feast. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times where we are going to have to suffer and sacrifice because you'll hear me say this in just a second. There is never a celebration without a great sacrifice. Let me say that. The greatest banquet that we're reading right here took the greatest sacrifice. Somebody's got to pay for the celebration. Every Sunday when we celebrate, people are paying the cost for the celebration. For a celebration of marriage, there must be a price paid. There's always a sacrifice connected to a celebration. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? 
Amen, bro. I love that stuff. Here we go. Uh, so a man replied, a man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five a yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. Real quick, that context, when you were uh, married in the Old Testament, there was a one year, basically, you can't go to war, enjoy your marriage. And so it was actually the letter of the law that your first year of marriage, you basically didn't do anything except enjoy your marriage. What's interesting is Jesus is saying, hey, I guarantee your wife loves parties. Uh, she can come too. But he uses the letter of the law. It's almost like a legalistic response to not actually enjoy Jesus. He used scripture to not come. It's an amazing thing. And it's very sad because sometimes we use scripture to hold ourselves back from celebrating with Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying? The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys and the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Everybody say, there's still room. Come on, there's still room at Mission Church. We've had 142 say, but there's still room in this house. There's still room for people to say yes, Jesus. There's still room for people to come celebrate with us. There's still room for people to come to party in the park and enjoy feasting with Jesus. Come on now. There's still room. Goes on to say, then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel. Everybody say compel. Yeah. And compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Stop. Think about this. Jesus wants us to compel the world to come into his world. He wants them to compel the world to actually want to come party with Jesus. I wrote a couple things down real quick. These three people were worried about what they were going to lose. You ever get worried about what you're going to lose all the time? Worried about losing a job, maybe losing finances, losing a person, losing your purpose, losing your age, losing your beauty, losing whatever. Losing your hair, going from uh, dark brown, gorgeous dark brown to gray hair by 35. You ever worried about that? Me either. Let's proceed. I want to catch this real quick. Don't be worried about what you're going to lose, but process what you're going to gain. Man, so many Christians are worried about losing the world and not... Um, focused on actually gaining heaven. These three people, I love it. I actually studied the excuses. Like, there's got to be more to these excuses. There's got to be more about the land and the oxen. Why are they saying this? And actually, all the theologians were showing, no, they're lame excuses. They're terrible excuses. They're, they're not even good ones for these people to say no to heaven. Jesus used lame excuses on purpose because I believe we use lame excuses to hold ourselves back from actually entering the celebration of the kingdom. Amen. My prayer today, and I wrote this down real quick, is that when the rich young man came up to Jesus and said, man, I want you. I want, I want everything the kingdom has to offer. And Jesus said, go and sell your money, give it to the poor and follow me. And that rich young man walked away from Jesus. I want to hear real quick. That rich man didn't have money. Money had him. I want to hear that real quick. When Jesus invites you on the journey of your life and you say, I'd love to come, Jesus. But right now, I'm going I'm to touch some buttons real quick. Forgive me. I'd love to really make the church, Jesus, everything that's important to you, important to me. But here's what I got this season. We got kids sports right now. No, you don't got kids sports. Kids sports got you. Hey, so Jesus, I would love to give my life away to you in this season. But you know what? I got this hobby that really, oh, I love it. No, you don't have a hobby. That hobby has you. And my prayer today is that you would actually turn away from the things that are actually holding you back and you would actually walk to your promise that is a celebration with Jesus. Amen. Man, oh, it's, it's, it's about to get good up in here. <laughs> We're going to look at a few things, but I believe that the church is supposed to have a culture of celebration. I want it to be a place where people go, it's, it make, we make it an easy decision for people. Where they go, where else would I want to be on a Sunday? 
Where else would I want to be on a Monday night but my church softball team? Where else would I want to be in a small group? Where else would I want to be but serving on a Saturday at the old folks' home here in Wall Creek? Where else would I want to be? I'm living the dream. But right now, people are being held back because here's why. Culture is very deceptive. What do you define as wealth? What do you define as wealth? Is it a paycheck? Is it just money? Is that, is that wealth to you? Are you working to get something so you didn't have to pay for something for the rest of your life so you can eventually enjoy it when you're older and barely uh, be able to still enjoy it? W- what is wealth to you? Because Jesus comes to the poor to make them rich. And we are working for the thing that Jesus wants to give us. Because think about a banquet real quick. A banquet is you just come enjoy it. You don't got to work for the banquet. You don't got to work for the feast. You don't got to work for the entertainment. You don't got to pay to get in. Jesus took care of all that. But think about what we're trying to do in the world. We're trying to create our own banquet in this world. If I just work my face off and get all the wealth of this world, then I can join my own personal banquet that I created for myself. I call it vacation. I work 50 weeks a year so I can have those two weeks in Maui. It's fantastic. That's a terrible life if you work that way. Every week should be a banquet. Every week should have freedom. I define wealth as freedom. I define wealth as relationships. I define wealth as purpose. I define wealth as falling in love with my King of Kings and my Lord of Lords. I define wealth as this thing being healthy and whole and overflowing with the kingdom. That's wealth to me and that's wealth to Jesus and it should be wealth to you. Amen. So my prayer today is that you would redefine wealth, that you maybe redefine how you're living your life because Jesus comes on the scene and God comes on the scene and these uh, things I'm going to teach real quick. And he basically has to teach God's people on how to process life. Have you ever met a, a bad processor before? These people just process life very poorly. I believe all of us actually need help processing uh, difficult situations, forgiveness, how to live, how to love, what to chase after. We need help in all these things, okay? So the Israelites come out of captivity in Deuteronomy. I'm going to summarize it because I want to make sure I get everything in today. Deuteronomy 16, Jesus says, hey, I, uh, I have, thus says the Lord, Moses says, thus says the Lord. Can you imagine like the Lord has now a new command for his people and the people gather, oh man, what's this commandment? Do not watch that Netflix TV show. You know, would, I, would that be it? Or, you know, do not wear those things. Make sure that everybody knows that you hate this. Thank you. I am God. That would be the worst thing ever, right? It's weird that Christians actually get sidetracked and they process that way. God comes on the scene. Thus says the Lord. He says, I have a commandment for you to obey. It's time to celebrate. And not for a day. I want you to celebrate for weeks. I got three celebrations that you have to do. Jesus is making the people of Israel celebrate in the Old Testament because they were in a culture of captivity and they didn't even know how to celebrate. They didn't know how to stop and celebrate. All they knew in a culture of captivity was you wake up and you work. You wake up and you work. You wake up and you work. You wake up and you work and you never stop and pause and celebrate what your God has done and what he's going to do because in captivity, you never reflect. You just keep in that hamster wheel, which I believe our culture is a culture of captivity. You wake up and you work, and you wake up and you work, and you, you try to get enough energy to go do something you enjoy, and then you wake up and you work. That is not how life is built to be lived. So he says, celebrate the Passover, that I'm the one who saved you. Celebrate the harvest, I'm the one who provides for you. And celebrate the tabernacle, the journey. No matter what the journey was, if you went through a valley season, celebrate it, because when you go through a valley, the difficulties will leave, but the strength that came throughout that difficulty, it's going to remain so you can enjoy the peak so much more. We live in a culture of complaining. You have opportunity to complain this week or celebrate this week. Complain or celebrate. Let me talk about complaining. And this, I hear this in church all the time. I'll talk to somebody who's younger and single. Oh, I hate being single. Valentine's Day. I'm at a restaurant and I see a couple and they're laughing. And I'm like over here eating by myself. I hate being single. 
Then I'll talk to another couple. I hate being married. I see those single people just going out to eat by themselves and doing whatever they want. And I'm like, okay, hold on a second. You two need to talk, you know? Because complaining is actually a flesh thing, not a spirit thing. Man, if you're single, celebrate that season. Celebrate that you get a ton of the time with the Lord. Celebrate the things that you get to enjoy in your single season with the Lord. Celebrate it. If you're married, celebrate it. Celebrate that somebody actually said yes to you. You know what I'm saying? I, I sometimes think, my wife, when I look, I'm like, you said yes to me? I celebrate it. I see people complaining about their age. When people are younger, they're like, oh, I hate being young. I just can't wait to be older. And then I'll talk to people, I hate being older. I wish I was younger so my back didn't bother me. Which one is it? You want to be young or you want to be old? Celebrate when you're young. Celebrate it. And when you get older, celebrate what God's done through your life. Celebrate the wisdom you have that the young person doesn't have. Celebrate the journey that's been in your life and the journey ahead of you. Celebrate that now that you have a wealth of wisdom, you're going to have a wealth of joy because you know how to steward it. Celebrate it. You can complain or celebrate. Goes on in our culture. I believe we have a comparing and competing culture. You can compare this week or celebrate this week. You can compete this week or celebrate this week. The Bible says in James 3, 14 through 16, but if you are bitterly jealous, if you struggle with jealousy, it is going to ruin your life. Man, there's a handful of things, unforgiveness, jealousy. There's a few of them that are just life, entitlement, impatience. Those are life ruiners to me. Those will take you out so quick. And so it says this, it says, but if you are bitterly jealous and there's a selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's, uh, God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Those are some pretty hard uh, things for the Lord to say to us about comparing and competing with each other. Selfish ambition goes on to say, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, jealousy comparing, I want what they have. Why don't I have that? You're just jealous of somebody else's uh, season. Or selfish ambition. It's all about me today. Nobody else. Wherever you see jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder and evil of every kind. You think we have disorder and evil of every kind in America flourishing right now? Because we're comparing and competing instead of celebrating what God is doing and celebrating people. Let's keep going. I'm almost done. And then we'll go into the message. Uh, <laughs> hold on a second. We've been talking for 15 minutes. Celebration Sunday. We have a consumer culture. We have a consumer culture. You can look for consuming to satisfy your soul, but try celebrating and see how your soul feels at the end of this week. Amen. We live in a shop fest culture. When people get sad, shopping! No. Man, I, I, wanna, I wanna celebrate this week. I wanna celebrate the things God has done and celebrate the things God's gonna do. And I simply wrote this, a consumer culture will not satisfy your soul. It actually will actually delay the promises of your life. Here's what satisfies your soul even. We're servants. The Bible says that we're supposed to live lives out of overflow, not consuming. Our lives are supposed to overflow. We're not supposed to be consumers. We're supposed to be givers. The Bible shows that we're poured out as a drink offering. These are the ways that we're supposed to operate. And last but not least, I just wrote, we, wrote in a, we, write, uh, we live in a culture that celebrates all the wrong things. And Coachella, look at all these parties. Everybody's partying, and they're partying and celebrating the wrong things. Don't get me wrong. I'm a Warriors fan. I want to go to the parade. I did. But man, that, the Warriors winning a championship did not save anybody's life. Right. And I, I, hey, I'm a sports fan. I'm a big sports fan. But man, I'm like, man, when's the last time we just really partied and celebrated Jesus? Amen. We, uh, I wrote this down, and again, I, I feel like it's good because now what I'm going to do is I want to teach you how to celebrate. So it's always good to say, all right, now go celebrate. 
what does that look like in the Bible? How did Jesus celebrate? How did God celebrate? How did God's people get instructed to celebrate? That's what we're going to look at in my last few points. But I wrote this is, what will expose uh, how you define wealth is just what you celebrate. Your celebration really does show what your, your, your wealth is. And I wrote this, is you covet the world, and if you covet the world, you celebrate when you get things from the world. If a promotion gets you more excited than somebody getting saved, there's a problem. Doesn't mean promotions are bad, but you shouldn't get more excited about a promotion than a salvation. I wrote simply this, that people are complacent for the kingdom, but man, they're good at coveting the world. They can be laid back when people are going to hell, but man, they're fired up about something they are passionate about in this world. Man, I don't want to be complacent about the lost. I don't want to be complacent about God's name being glorified. I want to be passionate about the right things and not passionate about the wrong things. Amen? Amen. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, We're going to talk about how you start to celebrate. One of the first things you need to do is you need to get around people who know how to celebrate right. Okay? And here's what I mean by that. I did not know how critical I was until I married a celebrator. My wife lives with the expectation of celebration. Okay? Um, I'm being serious. Only child. Birthday comes around. We don't have birthday days. We have birthday months. I did negotiate for 14 days instead of 30 from now on because it is a long month to be on my toes. What's today for my birthday? Um, Like when people visit our house, Rachel's like, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're coming July 11th. Uh, My birthday. I'm like, your birthday is the 6th. That's still in my birthday weeks, okay? Get them out of here. I'm like, all right, you got it, you got it, all right, all right. You can't visit, sorry, we're kind of busy celebrating somebody, okay? Um, so my wife is very good at celebrating. She is one of those people that she enjoys things on a scale. I'll be honest, when we first got married, the Lord's been doing a lot of work in me. Even on myself, I, I very rarely celebrate the journey that I've been on in my own life. I'm always hard on myself. Man, I gotta stop this sin. I gotta get better here. I gotta knock this off. Da-da-da-da. And I never celebrate what God has done and what he is doing. And I start hanging out with my wife, and we'll go out to dinner, and she'll be like, oh, this is the best dinner ever. I'm like, oh, it's not enough sauce on this dinner. Again, she's enjoying on a scale. I'm critiquing on a scale. So I'm hanging out with a celebrator. It's amazing how you enjoy a dinner different when you celebrate it than instead of critique it. And I go, well, how does God do it? Because I get my wife, you know, every day is, it's the best day ever. It's the best hike ever, you know. And if you're a critiquer, at first, celebrators are like, you don't know what you're talking about. Stays okay at best. You know, but Rachel's like, man, today was the greatest. Let's, let's look at this. I want to prove to you, I want to prove to you real quick. I have been distracting today, and that's okay. Can somebody hit the AC one more time? It turns off, and it's getting kind of hot up in here. Thank you so much. Genesis 1, God is creating the earth and us, okay? Separating light and darkness. Every day. Now, whatever way that you define creation, if this is... Um, a story poetry-wise that it took longer than a day. A day could be a thousand years. That's a different message for a different day. But let's just look at the rhythm of God. Then God said, let there be light. And God saw the light and he said, some translations say said or saw, and he said it was good. So he finished the first day. Good. It's a good day today. Let's go the next day. Let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place. And God saw it was good. Second day, saw it again. Good. Man, this is this is getting fun. Look at this. We got the light now. We got the, uh, we got the waters beneath the sky. Let's keep going. Then verse 14, let the light appear in the sky and separate the day from night. And God saw that it was good. Again, it was good. Day after day, look at this. Let the waters swarm with the fish. And God saw that it was good. Come on, he's saying it was good. Let the earth produce every sort of animal 
and God said it was good. Look at this. Every day that he finished something he did, he celebrated it. He didn't move on. Okay, I celebrate. Okay, night from darkness. Okay, now the plants. Okay, now the plants. Okay, now the fish. Now the animals. Look, look how God's operating. Then God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And male and female, he created them. I love this. He didn't make this statement until he created you and I. I love this. Because it shows, again, what you celebrate is what you value. Look how he celebrates when he creates us. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw it, and he said it was very good. Come on now. God had a rhythm in the very beginning of creation of celebrating every day. I want you to picture this real quick. And I love that we have a, a God that calls himself a father to us, that he's a father to this church, that you're a son and daughter. Any parents in the house? Raise your hand if you're a parent. Okay, boom, okay. Now picture your kid. If your kid is this age, then you don't have to picture it. You know it. But picture your kid is two years old, okay? Go back to them being two years old. And maybe one years old. Okay, let's go one, actually. When they're one years old and they start crawling. And when they start crawling for the first time, what do you do as a parent? Pfft, not impressive. Watch me run, sucker. You know? <laughs> That'd be a terrible parent. You'd be like, oh, big deal, you're crawling. Get to me when you're sprinting, you know? No, this is what parents do when the kids start crawling. Oh, my gosh, they're moving from here to there. They, they post on it online, Facebook. My kid is crawling. And I'm always like, pass. Uh, to be honest, like, because it's your kid. You're excited about it. Let's just be real. And then later on, they, they become two and like whatever. I don't know what age kids start walking, but let's just say two. I'm not ready to be a father. Uh, so anyways, so two, then they start walking like two steps. They're like, oh, my gosh, they're walking. And then they fall down. How terrible would be a parent if you walked two steps and you felt like, such a loser. <laughs> two steps, that's all. And then you fall? Get back up. Stop falling. What if you focused on the fall instead of the two steps? You'd be a terrible parent. And then once your kid starts walking around, starts talking, da-da. Oh, my gosh, my kid is saying the cutest thing right now. He goes, cuckoo-boo-poo. And he's saying, cup. It's just precious. <laughs> no, that's not precious. He may have hit his head a couple times, okay? <laughs> but as a parent, let's just break it down real quick. A good father, a good parent celebrates the small steps as a kid learns how to walk. I want you to hear this real quick in the church. We do a terrible job as a church, I believe. We need to do a better job. Maybe you do a great job. I need to do a better job. When somebody comes to the church for the first time, they say yes to Jesus, and they just start making their first steps. And they go, hey, I just downloaded my Bible app. You better go, man, that's amazing. You better celebrate it. And I'll be like, oh, the Bible. You need to get a real Bible. The Bible app's not a real Bible, you know? <laughs> Thank you. I'm so glad I'm a Christian. What happens in the church a lot is a brand new believer starts making steps to walk like Jesus, and then they fall, and we focus on the fall instead of the first few steps. Nehemiah 6, Nehemiah 8, Ezra 2, I want you to catch this real quick. They celebrate the little things. They build the foundation, just the foundation of the temple. Ezra 2 comes around. I want to read you this verse. Look at what they say after they build just the foundation, okay? With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, he is good, his love toward Israel endures forever, and all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was made. Can you imagine if you're going to house built today and you walked up and the, the workers just finished the foundation, you're like, woo, praise the Lord, you fixed the foundation, I'm so excited. Like, it's just a foundation, relax. You can't have a great house without a great foundation. I, the enemy, you look throughout Nehemiah when they built the wall, they just built the wall. Nothing else was built so far. They built the wall, and they're like, let's celebrate. So they celebrate. Enemy hates it when you stop and celebrate the small steps. You want to know why? Because if you start crawling like Jesus, and you start celebrating the crawls, the enemy knows that you're going to have enough energy to start walking a little bit like Jesus, 
and then the enemy hates it that you celebrate that you're walking like Jesus, and then you start sprinting like Jesus, and the enemy hates that you start celebrating that you're sprinting like Jesus, and then you start loving like Jesus, and you start praying like Jesus. The only way that you get there is celebration has to be in the middle of your journey. If not, why are you ever going to get up again? If not, what do you even know? The Bible shows what you celebrate should be repeated. Man, I want a church that when people come in the house and they give for the first time a buck, Man, you celebrate it. Oh, you know, the, the law says it's 10% and you're not being blessed right now. <laughs> Man, it's the first time the person ever gave finances to the kingdom. I celebrate it. I celebrate that you're starting to have a giving heart for the very first time. You're crawling and you're giving. For the first time when somebody comes to church and they start serving, and maybe they don't do things perfectly right. Maybe they don't even exegete scripture perfectly. Oh, excuse me. Uh, actually, Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, plans for hope and a future. That was actually about exile, and it was to the, the, the Israelites. It's not about us just having hope. Shut up! <laughs> Stop it! You're killing the celebration of the church. Man, we have to be a church that celebrates the little things. Four months in, and we made an eight-month video. Well, that's ridiculous. It really is. You might have been like, gosh, these people are weird. It's been four months. Relax. No. We're actually starting to walk for the first time at Mission Church. We're starting to have lights not turn off in the middle of the church. That's going to be celebrated. Your own life. Your own life. The enemy wants to just kick you down. You messed up this week. Oh, I fell. But well, hold on a second. Look at your last year. Look how far you came. Celebrate it. Celebrate that for the first time in your life, you're faithful to come to church on Sunday. Celebrate it for the first time you're starting to pray that you never prayed before. Celebrate it that you actually are mourned over sin. Celebrate it. Stop condemning yourself. Condemnation is not from God. Celebration is. Don't get me wrong. Truth is good. Correction is good. But man, celebration has been lost in the church. It's been lost in your life and my life, and we're going to redeem it in Mission Church. Let's keep going. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Zechariah 4.10 says this, and I want to just make sure I hammer this home. Do not despise the small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices. Some translation says, for the Lord celebrates to see the work begin. And when you start just crawling for Jesus, he's celebrating. When you're reading the Bible for the first time, when you're saying your first prayer, yo, Jesus... I love you. He celebrates it. And you're going to hear whispers from the enemy. You don't know how to pray well. You're supposed to rhyme all your words. May your obstacle become your opportunity. Your misery becomes your ministry. In the name of Jesus. No, stop it. If you rhyme too much when you pray over me, I'm worried. Uh, you don't even know what you're saying right now. You're just rhyming words. May he never misplace or displace the thing. Whatever, yeah. Um, I love a good raw prayer. Where people just... They don't really know how to say it, but they're just trying to say it. Let's keep going. Last thing I want to share with you is simply this, is the cost of celebration. The cost of celebration. And I, and I said it earlier, but I wanted to close with it, and then I want to honor a couple. But the cost of celebration, I want to hear this real quick. Sacrifice throughout every single time I talked about Nehemiah and Ezra and Deuteronomy course in Genesis, you have God celebrating the great banquet, which let's go back to real quick. All those celebrations came with a sacrifice. All of them. And I think a lot of us, why we don't celebrate right, let me teach you and teach myself today, 
is that you need to learn how to sacrifice so you can learn how to celebrate. And what I mean by that is, I think our culture is teaching people to celebrate before they sacrifice. I mean, just look even how we do sports. And you've heard people do this little rant like, stop the participation trophies, whatever, okay? But when you teach a young person that they don't have to work for anything, but then they get celebrated for just showing up and doing nothing, apathy is not gonna be celebrated at our church. Apathy will not be celebrated. Judgmental things will not be celebrated. But the things of God will be celebrated here. Sacrifice will be celebrated here. Faithfulness will be celebrated here. Salvations will be celebrated here. Generosity will be celebrated here. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will be celebrated above all things here. The thing I want to do today is I want to honor two people. And we have this award we call That's So Mission Church. If I have Casey bring up the stuff for the award, it's, it's an award we gave out right before we launched. We gave it to our, our first couple. The, uh, uh, the first one uh, went to Mike and Janine. They're right there. What's up, people? We love you. Actually, no, the, the couple that uh, got last time, come up here. I want you guys even to pray over this. I like this. I like, ooh, I like this. this. This is getting creative. We're brand new. All right, we're getting, learning how to do this. Come, you guys come on up here real quick. Before I uh, invite him up, I, I want to share three things real quick. One is, is what this award really represents is somebody becoming more like Jesus, and we should celebrate that. Second one is, we always say this, that the talents of a few will not build this church. It will be by the sacrifices of many. In Nehemiah, man, people were sacrificing their time, their resources. They were battling and building at the same time. Literally like fighting the enemy. Because if you want your dreams, let's just be honest, there will be opposition. So they're battling and building. And these people have sacrificed. Oh, they sacrificed. They're here both services. Every, every week, I'm always like, are you guys sure you want to stay again? Last week's message was good, but this week's message was kind of, Aah. you can leave if you want to stay. But man, and they, they're just faithful. They love people. When people ask, like, what, what's your culture of your church? It's hard to say, like, well, it's this. It's just happiness. The way that I love to describe our culture of church is I'll simply say this. You want to know our culture? Look at Megan and Jonathan. Look, look how they live their life. Look how they love people. Look how they serve people. Look how they sacrifice. Look how they give. Every four months, we're going to pray and process and look at different people and go, man, that person's living out the culture of the church. Not just mission church, but the church. And we're going to honor them. So will you honor with me, Megan and Jonathan? Get up here. Come on now. Come on. Come on. I love this. Real quick, there's something special about um, you really do reproduce who you are as a church. When people get caught up in the culture, they start just seeing, man, there's people who are working 80-hour weeks and they're still sitting up at 7 a.m. People who work 80-hour weeks and inviting people in their home to love on. There's people at 80-hour weeks that are at a small group loving people. There's something to be said about that. There are no excuses. These people live with no excuses. They can say, hey man, yo, I'm at Apple. I had an 80 hour week. No, no excuses. The kingdom is still coming first. And so what I'd love to do is I'd love to give, you guys want to say something for 30 seconds? Or 60 seconds? Two minutes? I don't want to make you speak, you don't want to speak. I'm good. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Come on now, come on now, come on now. You you guys live loud, I like that. I talk loud, you live loud. We're a good team. Um, Will you guys reach your hands forward? We're just gonna pray for them. Lord, I thank you that you are raising up servants. The Bible shows that if we want to be great, you say to be a servant. Well, Lord, I'm seeing these two 
rise up the ladder in love and joy and peace and blessing. Simply this, they're rising to greatness because they're serving the least of these. Oh, they're putting you first. Lord, I speak a blessing over their life. I speak a blessing over their marriage. Lord, we celebrate and we thank you that they're a part of this church. We thank you that they're so faithful. We thank you for their generosity. We thank you for their love. We thank you for who they are. As a church, I pray that we would celebrate them. I pray that we would celebrate uh, the past season and celebrate what God's going to do in their life. Lord, I thank you for uh, what they represent at our church. Oh, Lord, the spirit that they have, it's, it's your spirit. It's, it's love, it's joy, it's faithfulness. I pray that their fruit, oh, Lord, that it would become more and more because, God, you're a God of more. More than enough. Oh, we love you. And everybody said?